I say this as a, just a transition into this time, is God is good all the time, and all the time, and he is, he is. So, um, well, yeah, so I'm, it's kind of a weird morning, like, my job with RI is, is to go to churches and to share uh, what, what's going on, where we're at in the world, where we have needs, where we, where we could use workers. Um, I also uh, work with any kind of fundraisers that RI might, might do. We don't do a lot. We really, right now, it's just really our ride for missions is kind of the biggest thing we do in the summer. Um, and then I also equip missionary support teams. So as teams get ready, or as individuals, both married, family, singles, all that, I get ready to go. I help support their teams, equip their teams, help make, give them connections of churches to go to. So, so that's what I do at RI. Uh, I have a weird title of partner director development. Um, I jokingly say I'm the face of RI, but you know, I haven't gotten that title yet. So still working on that one. Um, so yeah, when Merlin first asked me to, to preach, like it was, we were both just like, hey, I'm here for the summit. Like, like preach, and, and that's what I'm gonna do. But I, I do wanna take a moment, just, just give you a quick snapshot of some things that have happened at RI. Um, so I'm not gonna do like a complete presentation, um, all that. Um, honestly, anymore, it's, 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 it's harder for us to give presentations on Sunday mornings because everybody's online, everybody's streaming, and 90% of our workers work in closed countries or in tough places. Uh, most of our workers have fake names. Most of our workers have fake like fake stories, like if that makes sense. Like we have to change everything to protect our workers. And so I love that people are online. I love that that's an opportunity, but it does make sometimes sharing a little bit of a challenge. Um, and so a lot of times, like sometimes the sharing's at night. Um, but I wanna give you guys a snapshot. So if you're not familiar with RI, Rosedale International, um, we, we changed our name from Rosedale Mennonite Missions several years ago to Rosedale International for that very reason, because of the places that we're at in the world, the things that we're engaged in. Um, we are in downtown Columbus, so do not confuse us with Rosedale Bible College. Uh, we are in downtown Columbus. We bought an old nursing home about 10 years ago, remodeled it, renovated it, um, and that is where we work. That's where we are, our offices. Uh, when, when kids come for City Challenge, if kids come for REACH, um, if, if missionaries are home for a little bit of time, they, they, we have rooms there, we have lodging, we have a kitchen, we have a cafeteria, uh, we have a full-time cook. Um, you know, so we are in downtown and, and living amongst the shepherd community, ironically enough. Um, I'm like, how, how, how'd we pull that off, right? It's shepherd community. Um, and so that's, that's where we're at. Um, we have roughly 30 uh, units, for lack of a better term. So we have about nine single people. The rest are married with kids. So we have about 30 people in the field. Um, in, in that, we almost have almost as many kids in the field. So we have over almost 30 kids. Uh, several of our families have four or five uh, children. Um, and so we are in several places in the world. Um, we, we call everything the Med region uh, for kind of North Africa, Middle East, and parts of Europe. So it's just the Med region, so I'll leave it at that. If you wanna specifically know where people are at, just ask me afterwards and I'll tell you. Um, we don't hide that, but again, I'm not gonna put it out online. So we are in the Med region, uh, and then we are in Southeast Asia. Uh, uh, so we have people in, in Thailand, um, and those are places I can obviously talk about. Uh, we have partners in both Laos and Bangladesh. So we have ministry partners that are local guys that actually got saved because of reach teams being there uh, that we now partner with. They run several hostels. 
uh, for us. And so we have three different hostels in Bangladesh and Laos uh, where young people are able to go and live and not be abused, get food, get fed, get a chance to go to school. Uh, they're getting taught back practical skills. Uh, in fact, the, the Christmas brochure is gonna go out next Friday um, where we have some of those year-end options and a couple of things in the Christmas brochure is like providing sewing machines for these hostels, providing instruments for these hostels so they can begin, continue to teach these young people how to do these things. So most of the kids at the hostels are coming from rural farming communities in Bangladesh and Laos, and they're coming in to go to school and instead of living on the street or doing whatever they would do to make it, they have these places to live. Um, we have, a, we have one, one gentleman in West Africa on Ivory Coast, and West Africa is where uh, my family lived, which we'll talk a little bit more about here in a few minutes. Um, and then we have a couple people still in Central America. So that's kind of where we're at um, with, with people. We've had uh, four new missionaries leave this year, which felt really good after a couple years of just nothing. Uh, so we had a young lady, Courtney, uh, go for two years to Thailand. Uh, we have a young, young lady who went to the Middle East and she'll be working with refugees and dis displaced people groups. Um, and we have two more families getting ready to leave here by the end of the year, both into that, that med region. So uh, that's, that's been really exciting. Uh, in fact, if you wanna support one of those families, the Fox family would love that um, as they are in Bern, they're, they're in Bern, Indiana, and they're not quite there. And so they're looking for CMC churches to speak at and looking for some support to kind of finish up their support so they can get back over, overseas. So... Uh, that's just a kind of a quick snapshot of what's been going on at RI. Uh, we have two reach teams this year. Uh, one team will be going to Albania here and one team is going to Senegal. They'll be leaving about, about December 1st. Um, we had plenty of locations. So don't, don't think two teams mean we didn't have places to go. We had six different places to go. We just didn't have people. Uh, we, we couldn't get young people to sign up. So if you are in the 18 to 30-ish and you like wanna go do serve, man, think about signing up for Reach. We have plenty of places, we have plenty of locations, we just need people willing to go. Um, so yeah, we have the two Reach teams getting, they're finishing up training right now and they'll go home for Thanksgiving break here in November and then they'll, they'll launch. So, and if you're not 100% familiar with, with, with Rosedale International, when we made some shifts about 10 years ago and changed our name, we also made a shift in where we serve. Um, and so we serve in that 1040 window uh, which is basically across North Africa, all of the Middle East and into Asia. It's kind of based on the coordinates of the world. Uh, we serve in the 1040 window where, where the most unreached people are. Uh, less, less than one out of every 10 missionaries actually serve in the 1040 window. And that's where 3.2 billion people of unreached people live. And so we are specifically aiming towards a place in the world where there are the most unreached and no one's willing to go. Um, but it, it has its own present of challenges. And if you wanna see that kind of information, uh, you can go to the Joshua Project and you can look up all those facts, all that data. Um, but again, there's, there's seven and a half billion people in the world. There's roughly almost four billion still unreached. Um, and most of them are in that 1040 window. And so that's where we're serving. Um, so not only do less than one out of every 10 missionaries go there, less than one penny of every dollar given in the United States for missions goes to unreached people groups. Um, ironically, we spend more money in this country on pets for, or costumes for our pets for Halloween uh, than we do on unreached missions. And so uh, that's, that's where our focus is at RI, uh, going to those places. 
Um, and again, my family specifically lived in Guinea-Bissau, West Africa for several years. We came home uh, for our kids to be able to have education and be able to do school. We were, we were in a village with no electricity, no power, no internet, nothing. And so school and high school was getting very difficult. Um, and my wife and I's dream has always been to go back at some point in time once the kids are kind of in college and continue that, that work. So if you're interested in West Africa, it's a part of the world that we're trying to send more people to for RI. Uh, because the cool thing is West Africa is in the 1040 window. It's all these unreached people groups, all these tribes, but it's not closed. It's not hard to get to. Uh, we don't have the security risk. We don't have to change names. And in some of the places, our workers struggle getting visas. Example, so Karen and I were in the country 30 days and we had a five-year residence card. So it's just, it's not hard. And, and on top of that, the church that is there, the people that we worked with are begging us to send people because they're like, we wanna go out and plant churches. We don't want you to do it. We wanna do it because we speak all these tribe languages, but would you please come train us? And so they're literally begging for us to send missionaries and we're struggling to find people willing to go. And so if you have a heart for that, if you have a heart uh, for missions and you might wanna consider West Africa, please, please talk to me. Um, uh, so we, we would love to do that. We want to continue to work with these pastors and churches that we built relationships with living there. We love, they've actually planted five churches this year. Um, and these are guys that have been saved maybe two, three years tops, and they're just planting churches under trees, right? And they're just, they're just doing it. And they're like, we don't know what we're doing. We need help. We need some training. We don't know what it means to be a, a Christian family. We don't know what it means to have a biblical marriage. We don't know what it means to raise kids. Like, please, please, please come live alongside us and teach us so that we can keep taking this, this out. So uh, that's a little bit of where our eyes at. Quick snapshot. If you have more questions, you can talk to me afterwards or, or even my wife. My kids actually can probably answer a lot of the questions because I talk nonstop. I love that Merlin gave me 45 minutes. I was like, sweet, that's like the first time ever. Normally, like, I get 20. I'm like, what do you, you accomplish in 20 minutes? Like, that's just the intro, right? So I was raised Baptist, by the way, so um, if that means anything, hopefully you don't throw things at me. Um, I was a late bloomer to the Anabaptist Mennonite world. So anyway, um, but yeah, we'll, we'll gladly answer your questions. With regards to the table, Again, it was kind of a last minute thought because Merlin and I were in a different train. We were on the summit train. Uh, so we did bring some prayer cards. Uh, there's brochures out there about reach, about going. Uh, there's lots of free stuff like stickers and magnets and pens. I think the mints are gone. I think so all the kids should have good breath in the, in the building. Um, we also brought some things that are not free. We, we just ask for a $10 suggested donation. It's, it's not, I mean, if you don't have 10 bucks, we're still gonna like help you, uh, but we brought some shirts and tumblers. People have enjoyed them, so they're long sleeve shirts. We have some, some of those. We have a couple cookbooks, so if you're interested in any of that, great. Um, Merlin has a pink one, so if you wanna match Merlin, you can get a pink shirt, and then you guys can be buddies. So uh, anyway, uh, we did bring some of the stuff. That the churches, as we've been visiting, have just enjoyed being able to have some, some RI stuff and, and rep that as they go places, and people ask what that is. So all right, so to completely shift gears, um, where do I have to point this at? Like up there? Oh yeah, I gotta turn it on. You told me that like a hundred times and I still forgot. So quickly, this is uh, our family. So my wife Karen is with me. Uh, sometimes she gets to travel with me, sometimes she doesn't, it depends. Uh, Karen and I have been married for 22 years uh, and we have five children. 
Uh, you can see them all. We have, we have a tall family, so it's been weird being with the Millers. Like, we feel like giants. So I feel like a giant in their house. I can't imagine what, our son's 6'3". He's gotta be like, what in the world is going on? So there's like little people. You have to like be careful you don't trip over them. Um, must have been what Gulliver felt like when in Gulliver's Travels or something. All right, I'm done, I'm done. Maybe. <laughs> So we have five children. Our oldest, Jada, graduated from RBC last, last summer, or this last May, got married in June uh, to a fellow RBC student who had graduated the year before. Uh, his name is Graham Leindaker. He grew up in Canada on the mission field. And so we are now have a son-in-law and walking through all of what that looks like. Um, then our next daughter, Lydia, is at Huntington University here in Northeast Indiana. Um, and we have three at home, Josiah, Micah, and Isaiah. Uh, my wife and I both grew up in Indiana. I grew up in Fort Wayne. Uh, Karen grew up near Lafayette, uh, Purdue University, that, that area. Um, our first eight years of marriage, we were in Fort Wayne. That's where we lived. Served as a youth pastor at, at two different churches in the community. Uh, and then in 2008, God shifted us uh, to Pennsylvania, uh, where we started working at a church called Community Mennonite Fellowship. We were part of LMC, Lancaster Mennonite Conference. If you're not familiar with acronyms, as you probably shouldn't be, um, and that was our home, and we were the pastor, I was the pastor to youth and young adults there, uh, and then that was also our sending church when we went overseas, and so we served with EMM uh, in Guinea-Bissau from 2013 to 2016, uh, got evacuated halfway through because of Ebola, uh, that was not fun experience at all, uh, but God was faithful, God was good, uh, was able to return and I think be there almost an, again an additional 18 to 19 months after that. So came home from that time, pastored a church in Missouri, which is CMC Church. And then about a year ago, uh, just through lots of different circumstances and stuff, it was just kind of time to, to, to move on and um, resigned, not knowing what was next, not sure what was next. Uh, the, the idea of just kind of spending a couple months praying and seeking that we knew there were some different options on the table and God dropped this job at RI like literally into our laps. Like, like I resigned and had a job almost like two days later, if that makes sense. Like it was that crazy of a, of a situation. Um, and so we've been at RI uh, a little over a year now and just absolutely love that. And so now we live in Ohio. So we've lived lots of places as Merlin already commented on. So before I go any further, um, just while we're still kind of in the RI stream and before we kind of dig into the word, uh, we have, we, I like to give away things. I think there needs to be some happiness right now. So my son and I hid two stickers in hymnals. So all you have to do is open a hymnal in front of you and look. And if you find a sticker, you win a tumbler and Josiah will, will, ha will hand them out. And so we have all three colors. You can pick whichever one you want. So you just have to look. It's a round sticker. It's gonna look like this, in case you're wondering. So it's just, it's, it's that simple. It's just in a hymnal. Someone's like throwing theirs down. Like, come, come on! I can say that the one I hit is somewhere in, it's in the eighth row, so I feel like the, the guy with the green checkered shirt, big beard, it's somewhere in his row, I thought. But, I don't know, man. We, we, this, I thought this would be easy, Josiah. Oh, hey, we found one, all right. Oh, we found, see, I knew it was close to him. Boom. 
guys had like multiple hymnals maybe, so I don't know what I put it in. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, with that being said, um, the, sermon, the sermon series I have for this morning is called Elemental. And um, it's kind of, it's, it's a, it's a weave, weaving of my own kind of personal story, my journey, just something that, that I came across and, and I just feel like it's impactful for all of us. Um, there's multiple reasons why it was named Elemental um, and, and as we dive in, I think that will make sense. Um, but back in 2006, um, I was working as a youth pastor, uh, working full-time at Parkview Hospital because the church didn't pay me full-time. Uh, we had a lot of kids and my wife was generally pregnant and um, that was life, right? And there was this, there, it was twofold. I was not fully surrendered to God. Even though I was working at a church, I was not fully surrendered to God. I wasn't willing to go wherever he would send us and do whatever he said, so I was kind of wrestling that. Um, and then on top of it, the church I was working at was, was a mega church. Um, it was my, the home, my home church where I'd gone to school. It was Blackhawk Ministries, for those of you familiar with Fort Wayne. There's no shame, I don't mind you knowing that. Um, and there was just this discontent in the youth group. Like, like it's just like, like, we, like there, was no, there was no meat, there was no, there was no value, there was no foundation. It was kind of like just come and play. And it was really bothering us, um, not just like when I say us, like the, the team of us that worked there. Um, I was just in charge of junior high ministry at this particular church, so there was a separate guy for high school, um, as well as like our team of people and stuff. Again, it was, it was a big church. Um, and so... We took some time and we just, we got together with a couple other youth pastors in the area in Fort Wayne. We are having the same conversation. We were all kind of frustrated uh, with just what it looked like, what, what youth had become. We, we, again, this was back in the day. This was several years ago. Um, I had a little bit more hair, not really a lot. Um, but we called it Velcro ministry. It just kind of felt like, you know, kind of like those games where you like, you jump on the wall and you see if you stick. And then you fall off. Like a, American Gladiator was popular and Fear Factor. And I mean, if, if that gives you any idea of how far back we're going. And it just felt like we had these Velcro ministries. And so we spent some time praying. We spent some time fasting over, over a weekend. We spent some time eating a lot of pizza. Um, and we just kind of, we, we were just kind of wrestling with this. And we, we came down to this passage in Acts. And it's, it's Acts 2, 42 through 47. And, and we saw this, this beautiful passage of what the early church was founded on. Now, they didn't stay here. They went out and they did things, but these were like the principles, the foundation of the early church. And so we took five principles from that and we named them the elements. And so hence the series Elemental, right? Because our world is made up of elements, right? If, if, you've, if any of you have done chemistry or any kind of science, you know that there's that thing called the periodic table, and we know that, that this is water, but it's really H2O, two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen. Everything is made up of an element, of something, right? Even, I mean, the clothes we wear, everything. And so the same way we felt like our faith should be made up of some elements, some foundational principles. And so we, we put together this series and, and we began to just teach it in our, in our youth groups and we just saw a change. Like it was just, it was phenomenal. Like kids wanted to study the Bible, kids wanted to engage, kids got serious and, and we just saw a radical difference in each one of our, our youth groups. And, and so it just became a part of who I am. 
It's become a part of my life. You know, God's word is never changing. And so these principles are something you can use wherever you're at, wherever you live, whatever season of life you are in. And that, in fact, that was our like vision or tagline, so to speak, was embrace and pursue God during every season of life, right? Because life is tough. And there are seasons that are good and there are seasons that are bad and there are seasons that don't make sense. And we have all of that. And our life has been that, my wife and I's life. We've had amazing seasons. We had extremely difficult seasons. We've had seasons we're left scratching our head. And so if we're only embracing God when it's good, when it's convenient, when it makes sense, which is unfortunately what a lot of the American church teaches, then what are we gonna do when things are tough and frustrating and don't make sense? And so we wanted to embrace and pursue God during every season of life, and we saw these five basic principles. And, and I, again, I share them with you this morning. I think some of them are clearly your church is really doing well um, just by spending the weekend with the Millers and, and even this morning. But sadly, there's a lot of churches not doing some of these things well. And I'm glad that that's not Riverview. Um, but again, I think these can, these can apply to your youth group. These can apply to your homes. These can apply to your lives. And, and they never fade. They never go away. And so... Um, this has just been something that's been a part of my life for a long time, and that's what I wanna share with you guys this morning. And so, um, just, just quickly, there are five elements that make up a person who desires to pattern their life after Christ. These are more than beliefs or window dressings. You know, it's not just a, a thing to do. It's not just a checklist. This becomes a part of your life. It becomes who you are. There's a mindset that shifts. It it's becomes a heart issue, not a mind issue. This isn't just more education. This isn't more knowledge, but this is becoming who you are. And so these elements are what we want to, our, want to be our foundation as we journey through life. These elements begin to frame everything we do as believers as we embrace and pursue God during every season of life. And so I'm gonna put the scripture up on the screen. I'm also gonna read it to you. Um, I generally have an ESV, uh, but this weekend, my skinny travel Bible, I forgot was an NIV, so I am reading for the NIV, uh, but I prefer the ESV for, for what it's worth. Um, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And so this group in Acts 2, 42, that was devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer, was essentially that 120 that we just saw in Acts 1 that was in waiting for the Holy Spirit, right? And so they'd went up and they'd seen Christ descend and he said, go back to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. And the day of Pentecost came and 40 days passed and the Holy Spirit came rushing down and it says it's like there was like a hurricane or an earthquake and everyone's was talking all these different languages and people from different countries could hear the gospel for the first time in their language. That's this group, right? That fellowship of believers. Notice it doesn't say apostles. It doesn't say the pastors. It doesn't say just the church leaders. It says the fellowship of believers. That's us right? The priesthood of all believers is what we believe, right? The fellowship of believers, so this 120, and this is what they're doing. This is before they had begun to be dispersed. This is a little bit before persecution. So eventually, we're going to see in the rest of Acts that, I mean, they went. Some stayed in Jerusalem, and the rest of them went, and some of them were forced to be scattered. But until then, 
this is their life. And this is that foundation that they began to create and they began to have that then helped them when they had to scatter, when they went other places, when they end up living in other cities. And I love that that first word is devoted, right? They devoted themselves. So it starts with me, it starts with you, right? I can't lead my family well, I can't lead my marriage well, I can't lead my kids well if I'm not first devoted to God. And same with for my wife, right? If she's not devoted to God, it's, it's gonna hurt our marriage, it's gonna hurt our family, it's gonna hurt our home, it's gonna hurt our kids. But I gotta set that example. That doesn't leave her without an excuse, we, but we both have to be devoted, right? So they're devoted to the apostles' teaching, right? So they didn't have the Bible yet. That didn't quite exist yet. They had, they had these stories, they had the apostles, they had the people that had spent time with Jesus. They had the, the, the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer. And just think about that for a minute. As they're listening, some of them are maybe new, some of them maybe followed Jesus the whole three years because some of those people did follow Jesus the whole time. Maybe, a, maybe the 120, a few of them came in in the last minutes. We don't know when they all joined. But as they were devoted, just think back as those apostles start just telling stories, right? Because it says that after Jesus ascended, their minds unlocked, if you, if you read Luke and the road to Emmaus and the, and the other parts, it says that God breathed on them in that room when he showed his hands and his, his, his side to them and, and then he did it again for Thomas. He said their brains unlocked and all these things clicked. And I can only imagine what they were going through in these 40 days and the, the time afterwards as they're just waiting for the Holy Spirit and prepared. Obviously by Acts 2.42, the Holy Spirit had come because we just saw that earlier. But just think about all the different stories they're probably retelling because it all had finally clicked. Like, oh my goodness, I now get what the whole Samaritans thing was all about with the woman. Oh my goodness. Like, do you remember when he, what he said to the leopard? Oh my goodness, do you remember that he touched the bleeding person? Like all these things in the law that you weren't supposed to do. All these rules that Jesus broke, like literally every single day. All these things that he taught them had clicked and they're spending all this time just devoted to that, repeating it, telling the stories, essentially teaching it. And so the very, very, well, not the very first thing, but the first thing that we wrote down was even before that was prayer, right? And you guys pray well. And, and so, and honestly, there's a lot of churches that don't, but you guys pray well. But again, the followers in the way of Jesus, they desire an intimate relationship with God, right? We pray to him without ceasing, longing to remain connected intimately to Christ, and so these guys, and whether you wanna say scripture first or prayer first, it doesn't really matter, but those are the two first things. And so they're devoted to prayer, or they're devoted, yeah, they're devoted to prayer. They're, they're doing it every day. They're talking about the teaching, they're hanging out together, they're eating bread, and they're praying. And like, I, guys, I don't know about you all, but for me, like, I grew up not really praying. Like, I'm just being honest. Like, prayer was like what you did like generally when you went on a trip for safety, what you did at a meal time, so apparently you don't choke on the food, I don't know, um, and what you did at, at and I do know, I'm trying to get a laugh, but anyway, um, and what we did at nighttime, right? And that was it. Like we prayed at mealtime, we prayed at nighttime, we prayed in the car, and then of course there was this time at church where people prayed. But as a home, as a family, and me growing up, there was not prayer without ceasing. There was not prayer continuously. There was generally prayer when we needed something. And so as a young person and as a young adult and as someone trying to lead my family, I had learned that prayer was simply, you do it when you need something. 
So again, I'm just sharing some of my own journey. And like, that just stood out to me for the first time in my life. Like, no, like this is something that you do without ceasing. This is this ongoing conversation with God. This is, you know, when I'm randomly talking to myself and people think I'm crazy, well, hopefully I'm talking to God and I'm not talking to myself. Because both things happen, right? And we're just, we're in this conversation with God. We're asking God, we're sharing with God. We're asking what we're supposed to do. We're asking what that looks like. You know, man, who are you gonna put in front of me today? Who am I gonna talk to? You know, do I need to do this? Should I call this person? Whatever it may be. And there's definitely, a, specifically, a, definitely a time to prayer for needs. There's a time to pray for miracles. Like miracles are still happening. They still happen every single day here in America and across the world. And all of that is just this prayer, this devotion. And for me, I didn't grow up with that. Prayer was just this, like this thing I did for God when I needed something. And if that's not you, then praise the Lord. Like, I, I, that's awesome. But I'm just being honest the way I was raised. And so praying is something that's come to me as I've gotten older, like in my 30s and 40s, like recognizing what that means. And like, like now, like we just, we pray about everything. Like, like when we were in Africa, this might sound silly to you, but there was like literally one working ATM in the whole country. Imagine if you had to go get money and there's one ATM in all of Shipshawana. So first off, you gotta wait your turn. You gotta pray it's working and the Wi-Fi is not down for the day. And you gotta pray it didn't run out of money so you can get money. And so like literally when I would get on the little motor scooter to go into town and get some supplies so we could have food, like Karen and I, sometimes together, sometimes by myself, we'd literally pray like, Mike, like should I take the ATM card, God? Like is the ATM gonna work? Is it gonna eat my ATM card? Because that happened to other missionaries. Like it ate their card and then they couldn't get money. So like, first off, like, please don't eat my card. Second off, please work so we can get money because we'd really like to buy some food. I mean, and so like, again, praying without ceasing. And I think God cares about those things, Amen. right? He clearly cares about our needs and he clearly cares about miracles, but I think he actually wants us to engage in him. Like, should I bring the ATM card? And honestly, he generally responded to us. Like, yes or no? And there were some times he said no and I'd be like, eh, I'm gonna bring it anyway. Every single time he said no, and I brought it anyway, the ATM did not work. Every single time. And so like learning to listen, learning to pray without ceasing. What is God saying? Where is God sending you? And this, is, this just builds on each other. And so in a few more minutes, they're like, oh yeah, 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 that makes sense. Um, so again, they're devoted to prayer. The next thing, and we did symbols for all this because youth love symbols. So prayer was the hands. The light bulb is scripture, right? Because it's the light, it brings light. And so followers in the way of Jesus are devoted to the learning, embodying, and applying, of God, and applying of God's word. They pursue this individually and with community, and they seek out opportunity to apply the word. And again, we saw that. They're devoted to the apostles' teaching. We are supposed to be devoted to that. And, and, and the biggest thing that I, that I wanna say in that is I think as a whole, we're really good about reading we're really good about studying. Some of us are really good about memorizing, but sometimes we fault with the applying part, right? It can't just stay here. It's gotta come here. And that was my journey. Like, like I, I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up in a Christian school. I mean, I, I never got a, I didn't ever not have an A in Bible class. Like, I, I, I could answer every question, but it never left here. It took a while to travel down to here. And so as with this series is being created and as we began teaching it, God was also working in me going, hey, you, 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 whatever. We won't say what I would have normally said because there's too many kids in the room and I don't want to be like, oh, Mike taught them a bad word at church. So but anyway, you silly guy, like what are you doing, right? 
And, and so it, it began to work from here and go down here. And so in that process, just me and my wife, like saying, God, our, our life is yours, right? Wherever you lead us, we will follow, and whatever you feed us, we will swallow, became our motto. Don't pray that unless you mean it. <laughs> in our story, we've been lots of places, right? And, and, and when you pray that and you say, Lord, wherever you lead us, we'll follow, wherever you feed us, we'll swallow, you may never leave Shipshawana. I, I don't know, because I don't know what God's journey is for you, but don't say it unless you mean it is my point. Because we've swallowed some weird things, and we've eaten some weird things, and we've lived in lots of places. But we were, we were reading God's word, we knew God's word, but we were not willing to apply it. And so as we began to apply it, we began to see people differently. We began to understand things differently. We saw people the way that God saw them. And we were like, okay, God, like, like this is, our life is your life, our kids are your kids. How does that look? What does that look like? Where do we go? What do you want us to do? And I think that's the question that all of us believers should be asking. Like, God, what do you want me to do? Both individually and with community. So followers in the way of Jesus, they're devoted to scriptures. They're devoted to coming back to Bible study. Man, like you, you go back to Acts, like they did this daily. Man, imagine if we started to start having church every single day of the week. Like there are a lot of churches that struggle to get people to show up for a midweek service because we're so busy. And yet these guys were devoted to it daily. Now granted, they were in homes, so you know maybe it's the equivalent of small groups, but it did not matter. They were devoted to this stuff daily. They didn't try to get out through life without being together, without having scripture, without having prayer, and without having community. Or no, actually, let's do that one next. So we'll come back to this one. So community, right? They were in community together. They were carrying each other's burdens. They were laughing together. They were crying together. They were doing everything together. It says they were one-minded in scriptures. They were, they were like-minded since so everyone was filled with awe, many wonders and miracles signs were done by the apostles. They were together. They had everything in common. Man, there was this community here and they recognized the need for community. They recognized why they needed each other. So as followers in the way of Jesus engage in community. We belong in community. When we walk with other in intimacy, accountability, and are known to each other, transformation takes place. We were not designed to be alone. Like God created Adam, he said it's not good that he's alone. He needs community, he needs a helper, he needs a wife. And the same way the church, we are designed for community because if you go back to that picture in Genesis, it wasn't just two, it was three. It was Adam, Eve, and God. That was the original plan, that was the design, this community. And in that, had they filled the earth and not sinned, there would have been more people in that community. They still filled the earth, but they filled it after the sin. We were designed for community. The whole trilogy, I mean, we see that just in Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit, right? There's community there. And as we have community, we are honest with each other. We're transparent with each other. We, we share our struggles. There's accountability. There's transformation that takes place. And if we are not in community and we're only trying to do this on our own, transformation generally does not take place. Because no one's speaking into our lives. No one's challenging us. No one's asking, where, where did that come from? Why do you believe that? Where, where, what, are you, what are you hearing? Hey, can you show that to me? What does that look like? Right? And honestly, our, our time in West Africa, and, and really everywhere we lived, uh, community's been a, a bigger part of our ministry than just words. 
right? As we lived with each other, as we lived with the village, as we interacted differently, as I did not beat my wife, as I didn't take a second wife, as I helped around the home, people would be like, why do you do these things? Why do you look different? Because we were in community together, both with believers and non-believers in a village of 500, and they wanted to know why we were different. And so it began to create these conversations. It began to naturally create these conversations. And again, that's transplantable to wherever we live, right? When we are in community, whether it's in Shipshawana, whether it's in Goshen, whether it's here in White Pigeon, whether it's in Ohio, and we're doing life with people, both the church and others, People see that, they ask questions. And sometimes that is a phenomenal way to witness. And so when we're devoted to prayer and we're devoted to scripture, we're already leaning towards, hey, I think God wants me to talk to this person. And then we're in community with people and then that person's a part of our life. So I mean, it's an action word thing, right? It's not one or the other. You can't just do action or do word. They have to work hand in hand. And I think more importantly with the church, right? Being willing to carry each other's burdens, sharing our passions, being connected in a way that we feel joys and sorrows. And guys, we already saw a little bit of that this morning, right? Merlin and the leadership team are carrying some sorrows. They're carrying some burdens. And they need community. They need us to encourage them. They need us to pray for them. They need us to just hug them. Like it's, it's not just a super fixable thing. There's, there's layers, there's complications, there's things that probably don't even make sense. And sometimes, honestly, you just need a hug. You just need a hug. You just need someone to sit there with you. There was a young man in, in Africa. His name was Brima at the time. He was the chief's son. And uh, he had gotten married and they had a, a small little girl born. And, and I don't remember the name of the disease, but basically her intestine was not connected correctly. It's a pretty common problem, actually. Um, here it's fixable. They notice it right away. They take the child into surgery and it's fixable. It's not fixable in West Africa. There's no place to get surgery. There is, there is, no, there is no hospital for those types of surgeries where we were at. And so this, this girl was born and they were trying some local remedies and, and they eventually took her to the hospital. It was clear that, that she was getting sicker and sicker. And, and during that time, I, I just went and was, I was just with them. Like the whole time that their little girl was in the hospital, I was, stayed at a hotel, I, was, I, I paid for their hospital bills, I sat by them, I, I helped feed them, I, I, was just, I was just there with them. There was no expectation. He wasn't a believer, he was just a friend, but I just, I just knew he, I needed to be there. And, and this little girl died, she, she passed away. There was, just, there was no way to cure that, and they, they knew that was kinda coming. Um, fast forward several years, about a year ago, that same man became a believer and his name is John now, and he's planning a church in a little Muslim village, and he still talks about that experience. He's like, he's like I've never had a Muslim treat me like that. He's like, you, you were just there with me, you sat with me, you, 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 didn't, you didn't try to fix it, you didn't have the answers, you were just there. And so sometimes our community, both with believers and unbelievers, is a powerful testimony doing life with people, carrying joys and sorrows, being there for them. And so yes, this is a, a huge part of the church, but I think it can also be a huge part of the community that, that we live in as well. So, and, and you know, I don't know what their future holds. I don't, but I know the church is being persecuted around the world and it would not surprise me if that comes to our country at some point in time. I mean, I think, I think scriptures teaches that it will. And man, we will need that community. We will need each other. We will need to be ready for those things when they happen, whatever that may look like. 
And for anyone that's, that's in a public school right now, man, those kids need community, right? They need youth group. They need a place to come because there are some crazy things being taught in schools. And regardless of whether you homeschool or not, eventually these kids are gonna have to face the world, right? And in college, like our daughter was, was trying to finish up her schooling at OSU and she wanted to be a teacher for elementary and the things that they're being taught that's being indoctrinated into these teachers that they have to now go into the classroom and teach, Otter's like, I can't do that. Like, I can't do that. And so she's switching degrees. And at some point in time, it would not be surprising if she leaves OSU. But again, she needed community. And she came and she talked to my wife and I and she had people to talk to. And I'm glad she did. Because it, it is, the world we live in is, is fallen. And, uh, and, and kids will need community as well. So the next thing we're gonna go backwards to this one. Um, and this one we called missional living. And this is what I spoke about at the summit. Um, but again, it's that you're the center and you're, you're going out, right? Missional living. And I, th- I believe we see that here in Acts, right? They saw, they were together, but they also saw needs, they sold possessions, they helped people, they met needs, and as you continue to walk through Acts, I mean, the very next verses, Peter heals the crippled beggar. The guy just says, hey, can you help me? Can you give me money? Peter's like, I can't give you money, but I can give you something better, right? And then you continue to walk through Acts in chapter seven. You see that they add the seven leaders because there's a food shortage and people need help. And so you just see this beginning of this missional living. And so again, followers in the way of Jesus are giving themselves away just like our Lord. The New Testament terminology describes this as a withness, amongness, alongsideness. This is done across the street, across the world, and with those sitting next to you. Relationships with people is far greater than anything the church has to offer. And I hope that that makes sense. By the church, I mean the building, right? We are the church. And what's our primary job? To go and make disciples. Well, how do we make disciples? By building relationships, right? You can't Very rarely can you build a disciple if you don't have a relationship. There has to be words. And so relationships are the greatest thing that we, the church, the body, have to offer people. We do life with them. We just talked about community. We're a oneness. We're among them. We begin to interact. We have relationships. We ask questions. We start conversations. And in that, we begin to share the gospel and we begin intertwining our lives with the gospel, intertwining what we've learned with the scripture not beating the scriptures down on someone's head, but saying like, look, I'm here to do life with you. And here's why I believe what I believe, or here's what's happened in my life. Here are things, and we begin to live missionally. And again, we're all called to this, right? In the Bible, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. So we're called to love our neighbors, which is everybody. The term neighbor in scriptures is literally everybody, right? And we're called to make disciples, And it wasn't just the apostles. It wasn't just Peter, James, and John. It wasn't just the 120. He told them all to go and make disciples. And that's our calling. So none of us are above this. None of us can get out of this. We don't get a pass. We are called to live missionally. We are called to build relationships. We are called to share our faith. We are called to make disciples. So again, all of you are missionaries. So some of you may end up overseas, but some of you are gonna live in Shipshawana your whole life, and that's okay. Because what has God equipped you to do? What are the gifts that he gave you? Ephesians 2.10 said, he prepared good works in advance for you if you would only walk in them. So before he even created the world, he created each one of us in mind with these good works that he'd give us for the, for the projects, the jobs he'd have for us in life. 
And he's equipped all of us. And, and too many times we make excuses of, I can't do that, I'm not good enough, I'm not equipped. No, that's not true because you have the Holy Spirit and you have community and you have the church and you will be equipped with exactly what you need if you live this out. And this can look lots of different ways, right? Just, just some practical examples or some, some examples just from our life. When we were in Pennsylvania, the church was right off of Interstate 80. And so there were times people came in and they needed help. And so there were times I took those people home and we let them shower in our house and we fed them meals and then we helped them, right? Did they become Christians? I have no idea. Did I share love with them? Did I talk about my story? Did we plant seeds? Absolutely. But I didn't see the end. I don't know what the end was. I did my part in that season, in that moment, in that story. The other day I got home from work and Karen goes, please don't be mad at me. I'm like, well, that's never a good statement. <laughs> I was like, well, what'd you do? She's like, I was at Aldi's today and the people behind me just had a lot of food and they had these kids and they clearly were hungry and they were like literally counting pennies and they didn't have enough. And they started putting food back and she's like, I just leaned over and swiped and paid their bill. Like that's, that's living missionally, right? Just in that moment, Karen provided a need for that person. She, she, I'm, I know my wife prayed about it and said, God, should I do this? And I know God said, yes, you should do this. Again, while you're rooted in prayer, while you're rooted in scripture, while you have this community to talk about these stories, and I'm not saying these things to build anyone up, I'm saying this should be a part of our everyday life. We all should be having stories like this, right? So she paid for the meal, it was mission, or the food, it was missional. Again, did they get saved in that moment? No, but they saw love, they saw Christ, and sometimes our parts are that little in the story, right? As, as we serve as, as missional living, man, there's watering, there's planting, there's cultivating, there's harvesting. Sometimes we get to see all of it and sometimes we're just one phase in it. Our time in Africa, we were so blessed. Someone went before us. His name was Bro Forster. He was 60 years old. He sold everything. He was a fruit farmer from Oregon. He lived in the valley. He sold everything and moved over to West Africa at 60 years old and said, I'm gonna work amongst these unreached people. They don't have the gospel. And he served there till he's 80. And he died on the field, planning a church, actually. He was down deep in Guinea Conakry, planning a church, and that's where God called him home. He finished his race. But he spent the next 20 years of his life just doing that. Gave up everything, sacrificed himself, and lived that way. And so he had went before us, and he had lived in this village, and there were some believers, and yet we got to see the fruit, we got to see the harvest of his work. And the church grew, people were getting saved. And it wasn't because we had started it, we did some cultivating, but we got to reap the harvest. And that's not a normal story for missionaries. Man, a lot of missionaries spend a long time in the field, especially amongst unreached peoples and Muslims, and you don't see anything. And so we were really blessed to have that happen to us. But it was because someone went before us and we did our part in that story. And our story was to come behind Burl and others and get to reap the harvest and then live alongside them. And so again, just like I talked about with community, the way that we interacted as a couple, the way that we interacted in our marriage, all of that was missional living that was screaming volumes to that village of why we treated each other different, why we held hands, why we loved each other. Like I remember the first time the, the pastor in Cattell came to me and, um, and he'd been a Christian for a couple years, he'd been the pastor, and he just looked at me and said, why do you love your wife? I was like, what, what do you mean? He's like, he's like, well, why do you love your wife? He's like, Women are just there to have babies and cook you food and wash your laundry. He's like, now I love Binta because I've, I'm learning this through scriptures. He goes, but why do you love your wife? 
You know, it just blew me away. Like here's a culture where marriages were arranged and marriages just happened because they happened. There, there isn't actually love in most of the marriages. It is a means to an end. And so again, how we interacted. And honestly, that was our call from EMM, was literally to model family and married life in this village. And that was our job assignment, to model those things. The last story that I wanna share about missional living, and we'll wrap up here. I'm sorry, I'm going long, I apologize. Merlin told me I could. Um, now this last story is about my son, and there's a few people in this room that have heard this story. Um, and I, and I wanna share this story because I don't care how old you are, you can do this. Burl did it at 60, and you can do it at five or six. And so when we moved over to Africa, Josiah was eight, nine, eight, you were eight. I couldn't tell what you were doing with the pinky. Josiah was eight, and um, Josiah and the chief had a really special relationship. The chief was Muslim, although three of his sons are now believers, um, and, and the chief just loved Josiah, just absolutely loved Josiah. Josiah could do no wrong in the chief's eyes. I could do lots of wrong in the chief's eyes. Uh, Josiah could have conversations with the chief that none of us would ever have, and, and so every day, Josiah would like clean his body and put on his nicest clothes he had and ride his little bike down there and he'd sit under the tree with the chief and probably sometimes drink tea and he would say things to the chief like, you know the difference between your God and my God? And the chief would be like, no, Josiah, what? He's like, mine's real. <laughs> like he was that bold, right? He had this special relationship and day after day after day, he would witness to this chief and they'd have these conversations. In fact, when we got ready to go home, the chief came to our house and said, can Josiah just spend his last day in the village with me? And we're like, yeah. So fast forward a few years and then the chief's health has been declining. And in 21, in December of 21, we were able to, to go back. To, we, we've actually been back to Cattell every, every year at least once, even in 2020, ironically. We got just before everything shut down. And so Karen and I uh, took some leadership from, from Rosedale and from EMM kind of over there. Burl had just died and kind of like, what's next? Like, what is this, what is this gonna look like? What, how do we equip? How do we come alongside? And so we took Josiah with us because we knew the chief was, was at end of life and we didn't know if there'd be another opportunity. And so several days, Josiah went over there and he wasn't, he wasn't in his right mind. He had dementia at the end. And there was finally a day where he was there and his son happened to be there at this house, Daniel, one of the believers. He's one of the, the, the pastors in the church. And so he quickly got on a little motorcycle, moped, came screaming down the road, got Josiah, took Josiah back. I think Karen was running behind trying to catch up. They didn't put her on the bike. <laughs> and uh, Josiah and the chief just had this, this moment. And... Um, it was precious. Josiah asked me if he knew where he was going. And the chief told him, yeah, he did. We didn't really know like, if the chief was really saved or not. I mean, he was telling Josiah, yeah, I'm saved. But we didn't know. And then quickly he went back to not, not being okay. And uh, about two months later, the chief died. Maybe, maybe even three. And it was, it was weeks later, actually, that his son called me on WhatsApp and said, man, I forgot to tell you something. I need to tell you something about my dad. And I was like, well, what about your dad? Like, like I'm like, he's, he's been passed away for a little bit. And he goes, just before my dad died, he thought I was Josiah. 
which is really funny because he's like 5'9 and black and just size 6'3 and white. <laughs> but in that moment, the chief saw Josiah's face or Jesus' face, I don't know which one. And he looked at Daniel and he said, Josiah, I'm a Christian because of you. And I gave my life because of you. That was, that was pretty much it. We went back to not remember anything and he died very shortly after. And I share that story because I don't care how old you are, you can live missionally. And we need to live missionally because God uses everybody. He used an eight-year-old kid who's now a 17-year-old giant to lead a chief, a Muslim chief to the Lord in a West Africa country. So it doesn't matter who you are, even here in Shipshawana or wherever you call home, Goshen, Middlebury, White Pigeon, you can be used by God because there are chiefs everywhere that don't know the gospel. And there are people all around us that don't know the gospel. And if we think that we're in a Christian nation, then we're lying to ourselves because we are not in a Christian nation. And there are more and more and more people every single day that have never actually heard the gospel in America. Maybe we couldn't have said that 10 or 15 years ago, but we can definitely say that today. The last thing that came out of this series was multiplication, right? The very end of it, God added to their number daily those who were being saved. And I love that it says God added to their number, right? These believers were doing the four things we just mentioned. They're praying, they're devoted to scripture, they're doing community together and within their community, they're missionally living, they're seeing needs, they're taking care of people, again, both in the church and outside of the church. And people see that and they're like, we wanna be a part of that. If that's what church is, I'm in. If that's what church looks like, I want in. And God was adding to their number daily. And I firmly believe that when you do the first four well, multiplication begins to happen naturally. And what I mean by that is people ask you questions. People want to know why you're different. People want to know why you're willing to sell everything and go somewhere. People want to know why you're willing to have coffee with that person. People want to know why you're willing to go to that person's home. Whatever those stereotypes are, people wanna know. People wanna know why you raise your kids differently. People wanna know why you treat your spouses differently. And questions begin to happen when you're in community and you're living missionally and you're devoted to these things that you don't have to work at multiplication. You don't have to be like, all right, well, let's have this big event and hope people show up so we can tell them the gospel. No, people are like, what, what is, why are you so weird? Why are you so different? Why do you act that way? And I've had that question of me both in America and outside of America. Why do you act the way you act? And so that's what I mean by multiplication begins to happen in natural ways. People invite you to share the gospel with them. You get these ends. And so followers in the way of Jesus are always sensitive to those who do not know the Lord. We're often sent leaving the comfortable to pursue mercy and justice. We enter into the world, build relationships with the world, and help others connect their stories to God. Almost 50% of the world does not know Jesus. Almost 50% of the world doesn't even have the Bible in their language, or even in a book of the Bible in their language. And it's our job to go. And again, maybe you'll never leave this community, but how many people in your community might even represent those unreached peoples? In Columbus, we now have Somalis and Afghans who represent those unreached peoples that now live in Columbus. So maybe our call is not to go to Afghanistan or India 
or Somalia, but literally we can go around the corner to those peoples who now live among us. And I think the same would be true of you. There are peoples living among you that do not know the gospel. There are unreached peoples living among you that do not know the gospel. I grew up in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and one of, the, one of our family traditions was going to Ligonier every year to the fashion farm and seeing all the little pumpkins. And I have watched over the last 40 years Ligonier transfer, transforming from a farming community to a completely Latino community. And when we were, we were just there on our way to Merlin's house on Friday, we took our kids and we stopped in and I don't know if we'll make it back or not, but I was like, hey, let's just, let's just do this thing that dad did when he was a kid. And as I pulled out to go up here, like the, in front of me was a lost supermarket, whatever. And I'm like, that would have never been here 20 years ago, right? Communities around us are changing. And so again, multiplication, living missionally happens right in our communities as well as abroad. And so that's my challenge for you guys this morning. That's my word. Let these be a part of your life. Let this, these elements, these basic foundations of the early church and of scriptures, and we see these guys and these women carry this out through the rest of Acts as they are dispersed, as they go on missionary journeys, as they reach out to people. We see Philip talking to the Ethiopian. We see Paul talking to the jailer. The story is after, after over and over, and all of it's rooted in these five things. Prayer, scripture, missional living, community, and multiplication. Even in jail, Paul is looking for ways to be missional and multiply. As a jailer is ready to take his life, he says, no, don't do that, we're all still here. He cared more about the person, he cared more about the guy being saved than his freedom of leaving the jail. And so I pray that these, if they're not a part of your life, or if some of them are a part of your life, that all five of these not only become a part of your life, but your families and your church body at Riverview. And it will be exciting to see how God multiplies that. And I'm confident there'll be some people that go overseas, and I'm confident there'll probably be some people that go to a different state. And then there'll be a lot of you that stay right here, and it's all good, because we're all called to different things. So with that being said, Merlin told me I got to end this morning however I wanted, which was a dangerous thing for Merlin to say. And so what I wanna do right now is I would like to ask your leadership team to just stand up wherever you're sitting, and I want us just to pray over them. So if you're near someone on your so leadership team, you and your wives, please just stand up where you're at. And if you're near one of them, just stand up, put your hands on them, surround them. If you're in the back, please come forward. Let's surround these, these, these couples, these men and women who have faithfully and will continue to faithfully lead review.